Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tech Strong Women. I'm Charlene O'Hanlon. Tech Strong Women is a series that we do here on Tech Strong TV that really does celebrate the successes of women in IT and cybersecurity and the roles therein. And I am always blessed to have as my co-host, Tracy Bannon, who uh, is a righteous mother in her own right. <laughs> Or Tracy, thank you so much for joining me as always. And I am super excited to have on this show, Deb Radcliffe, who is a cybersecurity guru. She's an author. She's an analyst. She's an advisor, writer, and speaker in the cybersecurity sector. And she's got such a great story to tell. So Deb, thank you also for joining us here on Tech Strong Women. You are truly representative of what we are all about. So thank you again. Thank you. Glad to be here in your company. Great, great. So Tracy, I'm actually going to turn it over to you and let you start the conversation today. Well, I happened upon Deb, I guess it's been less than a year, but I don't know why it has been such an amazing connection with Deb because I found out all of these pieces and parts of this amazing, incredible maze of a story that is Deb. So Deb, (laughs) you started out as a a journalist, like your undergrad is journalism, right? Mm -hmm. And Somehow you happened into a cyber espionage kind of a story. Um, Can you hit on that first? Because that really sets the foundation for all of these things that you've been doing for the last couple of decades. Sure. It's interesting because my beat is sort of a culmination of where I started and what I grew into. So I started working the police beat at San Jose State University as my um, assigned reporting beat. So I was always fascinated with crime and covering crime. Um, Then I was working for part time for this uh, New York Times owned um, Santa Rosa Press Democrat. This mm-hmm. was after I worked at the Santa Fe Mercury News and I had moved up north. Someone was looking for help researching a book on computers, comma, no computer knowledge necessary. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to John Littman and ended up doing the research for a best selling book about Kevin Mitnick while he was on the run from the FBI. Scariest thing I ever entered into in my whole career. I had within 12 hours of accepting the assignment phantom calls started coming into my unlisted phone number in the middle of the night with lots of giggles on the other end. And my ex-husband at the time, who was pretty kind of an angry guy, he was freaking out about these phone calls. So I ended up unplugging all the phones from the walls. And then I called John Littman, the author of the book the next day. And I said, I don't know if I can do this. Those guys got into my house last night and I have three little babies. And So John called them, all of Kevin Mitnick's friends, and sort of backed them off and said, I really need you to help her. We're not out here to smear Kevin Mitnick. We're here to tell the true story. She is sheep to the slaughter. She knows nothing about cybersecurity. There is no gain. There is no prize in beating her up online. Then I got to know the sources, and I said the same thing. You know, you can go ahead and hack me off the internet anytime you want. I need to use an AOL point of presence that I'm paying long distance for to even get on the internet because this Netscape thing you guys told me to use broke my computer. Okay. So that's good. From that point on. That's in the way back machine there. Yeah. 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 That's that's how it all started. (laughs) 
Yeah. And um, so, you know, the whole social engineering aspect and the, oh, I got, you know, I've got information from a reporter from the New York Times and da, 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 da. And these guys thought they were just so hot and they were so slimy, you know, and I was working with them because I needed to get as close as I could to Kevin Mitnick while he was on the run from the FBI. And they actually helped me get online. They helped me with some of my technical issues after a while. And I got a fairly good rapport going with them. But when I was done with that book, I turned around and I went to all the magazines that published to technology readers. And I said, do you know this thing called the internet? Like right now people are using dial-up modems to get to them. Well, Kevin Mitnick and his pals can get through all that. But, you know, I see that we've got direct internet connections coming to businesses really soon. And I think, you know, the floodgates are going to open. We're going to have a terrible time with cybercrime because you've got two things going on. You've got a trusted media, but you don't really know who's on the other end. Mm-hmm. And you've got people who are dumb. They don't mean to be dumb, but you give them a computer. It's very complex. Even in the 1990s, they were complex for an average Joe to understand what was going on. Um, so you're putting these two things together and we are going to have a crime wave like no one's ever seen before. Well, fast forward to where we're at today. And I've never left the beat, you know, and that was way back when. What a great That's- story. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that, you know, it seems like we all these conversations that we have with folks uh, on Tech Strong Women, people seem to kind of fall into technology. You know, I, I, I don't think we've had one person come on, maybe one who really set out to make technology her her life's work, her career, her profession. Um, maybe I don't know, maybe Tracy, maybe there's more than one. But it seems like uh, the some a lot of the uh, the, the best stories that we've had on the show so far have been people who quite literally have come at IT or cybersecurity from another field altogether. And it's been a great ride for them. Um, Deb, did you ever think that this would be something that you would be interested in and make it your life's work? No, but I had some uh, automatic sort of uh, proclivities where I, when I was a secretary before I went to college, I was working for an engineering department and those guys taught me how to code a disk drive. They taught me how to assemble a circuit board. And my boss needed me to write, uh, to like figure out what was in all of his file cabinets and keep a running record. And I told him I'd need a computer program for that. So he sent me to a DOS class and I wrote a computer program that actually worked and kept a systematic alphabetized list of 14 four drawer file cabinets and what was in all of them. So I should have given that more time in my career, but I didn't know that I was going to be coming together with journalism, which was my main desire to become at the time. And I was going to college at the same time and having all mm-hmm. my babies at the same time. So it was a lot going on. Um, but if I could have done it better, I maybe would have started right into technical publication right out of high school. I had the opportunity to do that then, too. But I ooh, who wants to write technology? stuff, You know, and this was more for RFPs and stuff for a company called Ford Aerospace. So it just took a while for me to figure out this is what I wanted to do. But by the time I was in my very early 30s, yes, that point, I was stuck. And I, I, I know I'll never leave the industry now. And you're, you know, part of your story that's so strong and as, as Charlene mentioned, 
it found you, you didn't find it. Um, it, right. There was a, there was a natural affinity and we are seeing that with technologist after technologist after technologist. I'm applying that whether somebody has a formal technical degree or not. So many folks are technical by virtue of learning on the job. You had exposure, you had people who were mentoring you and providing those opportunities, but this found you. Uh, and that's a, that's a, you know, the, the nice crossroads of, of journalism and your interest in, in trying to figure out the, the cyber crime pieces. Now, as, as you've gone forward, though, you also do cybersecurity consulting, correct? And that's, a, that's an area that you provide guidance. I do, but mostly through my writing and my speaking. I haven't actually been hired to go into a company and do cybersecurity consulting. My message is to a much broader audience is the way it's been all my career. Mm -hmm. I magnify the message as a journalist and an analyst. I'm able to get all of this information out into the hands of lots of people instead of a single company. Now, I didn't come to you first through the through your book. I actually came to you by meeting you on Shift Left Academy uh, and, yeah. and understanding that same type of thing. Here's a platform where you can start to magnify and you have been. Um, and as far as I as far as I remember, you've been uh, you've won some awards for Shift Left Academy, correct? Yeah, we were in the top five for best developer education videos. And I laugh at that because it's so organic. It's a lot like this where we just record the Zoom. And mm -hmm. um, but it's I gave a tribute to people like Tracy Bannon because I ex I interview the experts. If I'm not an expert in a topic and I never claim to be, I know who to ask and I know what questions to ask. And that's critically important, whether or not I can go fix that computer myself, at least I can go ask, well, I see a vulnerability here. And companies like Sun Microsystems and stuff back in the olden days, they've come to me over the years and said, I was the scariest interview they've ever had to do. And <laughs> I said, why? And they said, because you always found our weak points. And I said, well, I listen. And you can always hear that gray area that's not covered. Like, do you remember when they were going to be doing these universal servers, Microsoft and Oracle, and everybody was all over it, and it turned out to be a nothing? Like, I was the one who was saying, hey, guys, I think this is all smoke and mirrors. I've been at Microsoft all day, and I'm pounding my fist on the table saying, do you have a universal server or don't you? Well, we do and we don't. And so it's that kind of stuff that gave me the reputation of being kind of a hard-nosed, uh, early days cyber reporter, but I could just always see that gray spot, that area of weakness with cloud, everything that's come up, you know, digital transformation, IoT, gaming, metaverse, everything that's coming up, I already see where the problems are going to be. So it's a gift, it's a curse, as one person said to me, who's not in cyber, who's not in crime, who's just a lady who takes care of a house, she says, not all of us are bad guys, but you're so paranoid. And I go, I'm sorry. It's just the way I learned, you know. Well, that could be a journalism trait as well. You know, mm -hmm. being a journalist by trade myself, I'm always, you know, skeptical. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I tend to be known as the adult in the room sometimes because I tend to question things and uh, make sure that, uh, you know, people are, are actually 
doing what they say they're going to do and say what they are supposed to be saying. So I, I totally understand what you're saying with, with regard to that, Deb. And, and, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting that you still, it sounds like you still really consider yourself to be a journalist rather than a cybersecurity analyst or researcher or any of the other titles that you've probably been given over the years. Yes. And also, Charlene, have you ever been laughed out of rooms for asking really basic questions? That oh, yeah. Have? Every yes, day. Like, can we change IP? That was Still like, every day. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, if you ask these obvious questions and they think that you're stupid and then mm-hmm. 10 years later, it comes up as something that finally is getting changed. And so there's a lot of that in my career, too. Um, journalist, analyst, voice. I consider myself a voice now, but I came at this from a journalist perspective, and now I have a cyber thriller series, Breaking Backbones, which oh, emulates cool. all these interesting people that I've interviewed in the, um, you know, in my career, because I'm trying to get the message out to the rest of the world that, hey, you know, we have people like CISOs that are trying to protect your network. CISOs get shot down in the middle of this book over a power play. Okay, mm-hmm. this is all this is like starts with a drone war. This isn't some, hi, here's how computers work kind of story. This is like, boom, you're drawn right into the action. I'm actually going to Holly, uh, to New York in a week and a half to promote this to um, producers. So I really see this as like a Netflix TV series. And be, I'm laughing because people are like, why did you call it Breaking Backbones? And well, in the beginning, I have a Wikipedia description of what a network backbone is. And they have to break Globecom's hold on the world because they own everybody through human chip implants. And oh, by the way, they own the data centers and the networks too. So um, I'm trying to show the world the overreach of technology. At the same time, I'm trying to show the world that, hey, we've got people behind the scenes working there rear ends off and they are trying to fight the good fight. And I want all of these people to be sort of heroized in the Mm -hmm. story. And I think I've done a good job with it. It's, it's going really well in terms of sales and stuff. It's a fictional story, right? But it's based on, based on reality. (laughs) Right. There's a character in there named Maine. He always reminded me of a lion. He's a hacker who's a big old dude. And he uh, carried a lion head cane. And he had this plate of golden red, orange, auburn hair that mm-hmm. looked like a lion's mane to me. Now he goes by the hacker handle Del Chai and he actually helped me with some songs and some music to use in the book. Um, he's still around, he's still very active and he read it and he approved it. I call them M-A-N-E for Maine, for Maine's hair. So there's a lot of characters like that in there. There's uh, Jim Christie from the Department of Defense Forensics Labs. I just, I didn't even bother to change his name much. I just call him Chris James. So there is a lot of those kind of people in there that contribute to my career and my knowledge. And now they are contributing to my series. I want to pull that back a sec. Uh, I think there's a really important message here that I I don't know if everybody heard this. As you're telling this, yes, it's a yes, it's a story. Yes, it's fiction. But there's an underlying message that technology can overstep. Technology is overstepping. It is. It's everywhere. It's all around us. I mean, what is it? 20 years ago, they said software is eating the world. Well, oh, my goodness, the tech is everywhere. And we need to be, I don't want to say fearful, but we sure need to be cognizant. And there are very good people who are highly 
intelligent and insightful who are meeting with folks like you and meeting, you know, and talking to others in industry who are fighting the good fight on our behalf. Um, and so that's an important part, I think, of, of the message that you often give out, Deb. Thanks. Thanks. I enjoy what I'm doing very much right now because I'm in a period of time where I'm being very choosy about who I want to work for and how I want to work. So Gramatech, for example, is a killer client and they're taking my book to RSA. I'm going to be signing the book at the booth. This is all their idea. Um, I've had other clients where I tried to be an evangelist for a certain company that lasted like three months. I tried to work for a large media conglomerate that lasted seven months. So I'm at the stage in my career, too, where I can really start to focus my energy where I want to focus it, not where I need to make money. And that makes a huge difference as well. Go ahead, Charlene. OK, <laughs> I was going to say it's uh, it's really great to hear that you you do have the opportunity and the ability to, to really be choosy and and how you want your your career to go moving forward. And I feel like sometimes there are uh, many times, I, I don't think a lot of, uh, especially females in the IT space, get that opportunity, at least uh, not as much as uh, their male counterparts are concerned. And I wonder, as you've kind of gone through the last you know 30 plus years of your career, did you ever kind of feel like you weren't, uh, you know, maybe I don't want to say given the opportunities because nobody is given an opportunity. They take the opportunity. Right. But do you do you feel like things were a little maybe more difficult for you because of who you were, you know, as a female in the industry, especially if you think back about the, you know, and you think about the fact that there were so few women and still are relatively few women in the cybersecurity field, although those ranks are growing. And I'm very happy about that. Well, two things worked in my favor. One, I was a hot young female in my 30s. Secondly, I was not even thinking of myself as a female. I was thinking of myself as someone who wanted to, to do this. Mm -hmm. I was interested. I was intrigued. So I just went for it. And when people say, how did you do this as a female? My three words were, I went for it. And so I still go for it to some degree. But back in the olden days, that hot femaleness got me in a lot of doors because hackers are so awkward with women, right? right. That they would just be like, oh, 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 okay, yeah, whatever you want. I'll tell you anything, you know? And so that worked in my favor to some degree. But they also started at first thought as I had to be stupid because I was mm -hmm. a woman. Um, that didn't last long because I was stupid. I mean, when it comes to technology, like HTTP, HTTPS, blah, 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 all these terms, SAP, you know, databases and everything. And I had to learn, like I called it brain bleed for three years. I felt like my brain was bleeding. I had to learn engineering as a journalist, right? Tricky way to do it. But mm -hmm. I'm very good at repeating everything back in English. Oh, so you're saying that you dropped a Trojan horse in through a Napster account. Yeah. Then what did you do? And so I would have to just speak everything back to them in English and get confirmation. One time I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. I got 3000 emails from with a technical mistake in an article. 3000 emails. Oh, I had a response. You're right. Watch for my correction. You're right. Watch for my correction. You're right. Watch for my correction. You know, it was like. 
boom, 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 you know? So they're not forgiving, but the, I don't think that had any, anything to do with a female. That had to do with making a technical error in an article. And these technologists are perfectionists. So it was a lot of pressure on that level. There are a couple of times, I won't name them, but at an event for SANS, where I used to run the analyst program, one of the leaders came to me and he's, hi, babe. And I'm like, hi, babe. And he never knew that I was throwing it right back in his face. He thought we were just both being really cool. And that's what I love. I love that I can usually one-up someone in a situation like that, and they don't even know it. That's interesting. That's and I would I would like to be like hiding behind and kind of peeking around as you're taking on all these folks to see you in that kind of action, because I've been on a conversation with you when you're when you're interviewing and when you're diving deep and you really do have this sense of um, where there is a gray area. Right. You pull out that flashlight. Right. It's got yeah. like, six D batteries. Right. This thing you're wielding around. Right halogen light um, and shining it into these into these corners. Um, I find it so curious that you you're the, I think you're the first woman that we've interviewed who actually admits that she was a woman. Like I said, oh. I I was yeah. a hot something in my 30s. You're the only woman who has said I looked a certain way. I felt a certain way. I was perceived a certain way. So what? Um, that that's Pretty interesting because I think there's a tendency for us to, I don't want to say downplay, but maybe downplay, right? And, you know, <laughs> how high does the short neck come? And exactly what do I have to, what do I have to hide mm -hmm. from you so that you pay attention to me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, but at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, it's, I think uh, all the female, pretty much all females uh, in technology do kind of use their, their femininity to their advantage, um, whether they're doing it overtly or covertly, whether they're doing it consciously or subconsciously, there is, uh, there is always, uh, you know, the, the, the more female characteristics do tend to come out in conversation or just, you know, the flip of the hair or, you know, just something that is innately feminine that does come out. And so I, there are very few uh, females in the IT sector who I've met who really do suppress a lot of their, you know, femininity in in the way that they speak to other people, in the way that they, uh, uh, the the way that they ingest information, the way that they, you know, just carry on a conversation. I gesticulate all the time, and I know that some people think that that's an insanely fem feminine thing to do. That's just the way I am, and so I don't consider that to be you know, feminine or, or, or not, it's just, it's Charlene. It's not mm -hmm. female. Well, so, but I would agree with you. I, I fall, I think, I, I think, think, think maybe I fall into that bucket where I, I don't, I don't have, it doesn't say female right here. Actually it yeah. does on my shirt underneath it says <laughs> women in tech, but we'll hide that right now. But um, in general, I just be my, I'm just myself. Um, right. And so maybe, uh, you know, Deb, I'd be interested was that hot 30 something just you being you? It was. I was recently divorced after a very repressed marriage. So, yeah, there was a lot going on when I entered this industry. I was also, um, you know, instantly a single mom of three kids between the ages of eight and 11. Um, oh, you know, so there was a lot going on. Um, I was exploring every aspect of who I was at the time I had been crushed. And I was coming out of being crushed. 
So yes, there was a lot going on at the time when I started this career. But as I grew with the career, obviously, a lot of that just sort of fell away and I got more and more self-confidence. And when you guys were asking me earlier how you actually did this, I faked it. Like for the first three years during that brain bleed, I faked it. I had a couple of editors say, well, you're writing about databases as if they're brand new. And I'm thinking, well, they are to me, you know, (laughs) right. So there was all of this going on at the same time. But I really feel that if you have a drive and you want to do something and you have an inclination and you know you can at least almost do it, Mm -hmm. you should do it. Like do it until it becomes natural. I wasn't good at walking into rooms full of geeks and holding out my pen and paper and asking them questions at first. But I can do that anywhere now. I can walk in probably. I could probably talk to the president of the United States like that now because I'm so comfortable with walking in with a notepad and asking questions. As Michael Zuckerman from USA Today said, you have a gift of draining gray matter from people's brains. I've watched it, I've seen it. It fits my personality. It isn't that male female thing, um, you know, at all, but it's about, I think a lot of it is in my career is about disarming people. And again, that's natural in my personality, not that I'm a woman or a man. But yes, in my younger days, being a young, hot female did work in my favor as if I let it, you know, people could also try to victimize you. They Mm -hmm. didn't last very long. I'm very good at shaming people as well when I need to publicly too when I need to. Well, that's that's a that's actually a good trait to have, because I think, uh, you know, especially women tend to not go down that route. They'd much rather just kind of be quiet. And, and, you know, for the, for the first inclination is, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I have gone too far. Maybe I have done something wrong. Uh, and then, and then you start to think about, it, you're like, wait a minute, I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. And then by the time you get to that mindset, mm-hmm. it's, it's done and passed and you really have no recourse, uh, but to do that. And another thing, and then that just sounds fake and, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, well, kind of penalizing so, that happens, exactly. right? And it's, exactly. it, um, it's typical when you see youngsters that as they're growing up, they hit um, puberty. Um, my husband coaches men and women, boys and girls. Um, and he can very clearly articulate the moment where they go from being these wonderful androgynous. You can, it doesn't matter, boy, girl, they all play the same way. And there's a, there's a moment where the girls start to internalize and the boys do not internalize the same way. And he will give the same comment to a young woman as he does to a young man for the young man. It's hey, that you're kicking the ball the wrong way. You're hitting it with your toe, not the inside of your foot. You need to do this. And, then, and nine times out of 10, he said, the boy will be like, Oh, okay. Okay. Coach. He'll say almost the identical words to a young female and it's an, it's a character indictment. And so there is, there's some kind of wiring, right? Like they're not suddenly not good enough. So I think that as we, as we're talking about this, now, as I'm listening to you tell your story, Deb, you kind of, you, that didn't seem to hit you in the same way um, that you were you ob- not oblivious to it, but it surely sure didn't hold you down. I took a lot of that kind of stuff and still do as a challenge. Interesting. So 
I think a lot of that also has to do with upbringing then. So were you raised in a household that really encouraged you to be as be fearless or was it more a lot, uh, you know, did you have to survive? You know, you had to, you had to do what you had to do to survive when you were growing up. And so that's kind of given you, I would say like a, a thick skin, but it's really not that it's just quite literally just being able to just look at that, look at it as words and nothing more. It was both Charlene. So I was raised very free and my parents are actually embarrassed when I tell the story now because of the way the world is today. But when I was little, you could let a kid run free in the forest. You could let them ride off for hours on a horse and not worry about it. That, mm -hmm. that was how I grew up. I had horses. I was, I still have dreams. I forgot to give the horses water. I had responsibilities with those horses. I had uh, to go out and if the sheriff showed up because a horse got out in the middle of the night, I had to tuck my nighty into my jeans, put on my cowboy boots and go out and retreat the horse. It was my job. Everything was my job mm -hmm. from like age nine onward. Um, two siblings, same thing. We were given a lot of freedom. Um, but there was some trouble in the house with a, a sort of an abusive older brother and a father who thought I was too affectionate. So those guys taught me to be strong. So in addition to the freedom in my upbringing, there was that sense that some people thought I was a little too out there and they were males. OK, and they were kind of trying to put me in my place. Mm -hmm. I kept bucking against that. And the very same family members now say they really appreciate about me that if I see something I want to do, I just go for it. So, so it is a mix. There, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, everybody no. has a mix, right? It was a but mix think, of nature and nurture is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and I think I was raised very well. I love my parents and they're getting super old. And part of this trip I'm taking is going to spend time with them. Um, my brother is gone. Um, I have some... We're giving to do around that, just that he left. <laughs> it's hard. You don't want your siblings to go, you know, but um, that'll be a lifetime thing. It's been, he's been gone since for over 10 years, you know. Mm. Oh. Well, you know, it's really uh, if you if you have the conversations with with different people about how they were brought up, it really does show you the you know, help shape how they become as adults. And mm -hmm. you know, a, growing up, I was always pretty much given free reign as well. And, and I, that that taught me a level of responsibility that. I have, I, I will be the first to admit it. My kids don't have that because, you know, the, the way that the child rearing, you know, mm -hmm. happens changed. And all of a sudden we're, we're all very overprotective. We're all quote unquote helicopter parents, even though we might not be, but we don't have, we don't give kids the level of freedom to go out and explore the world and become their own person. And, uh, and, and, and evolve their decision-making capabilities as early as really I think they should if they're going to survive in this world. So, um, but I think also uh, because of that, we are not enabling uh kids to find themselves, to, to develop their own personalities and to become mm -hmm. fearless. Uh, and I, and I wonder if you, you know, in, in, as you talk to people in the cybersecurity space, especially younger folks, are you noticing that there is a change in the way uh, males and females interact with each other and the way that they approach jobs and uh, you know, how they communicate with each other or, or do you kind of, uh, is it kind of, 
I feel like we're 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 talking to each other on a much more equal level these days, but I'm not sure that actions are actually being supported by that or supporting that, I should say. Well, it's interesting because in my kids' lives, there's more people getting together in groups. So there's more equality because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also some kids, I'm not going to name any kids, but I know kids in my kids' age group who are polyamorous. I know kids who are uh, transgendering. Um, so there's a lot going on with young people now that goes beyond whether or not they were helicoptered. Mm-hmm. Um the scary thing is, is that when I was growing up, I don't think there were as many creeps in the world as there are today, or at least they were not we mentioned. About them. Yeah. It yeah. might just be that we didn't know um, because we didn't see it as frequently, right? The media was not as accessible as, as it is now. 6.30 news, 11 o'clock news, right? There are news hours, not mm-hmm. 24 by 7 and things popping up at you to tell you the latest and greatest notifications. The Amber yeah. Alerts and all mm-hmm. of that stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, that's made parents a lot more protective. Mm-hmm. I think that... In some cases, my kids had a pretty good balance. I I used to, this was when AOL Instant Messenger was the only sharing app that we had. Mm -hmm. And I used to keep the computer in a public room. And I used to lean over their shoulder and say, who's XYZ boy? And how do you know him in the real world? If they didn't know him in the real world, I made them delete Mm-hmm. And they would tell me, mom, you're so paranoid. And I go, yeah, but nothing bad has happened to you. Right. And so I wasn't exactly a helicopter parent, but I was very careful about what they did online. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, today, all kids have iPhones. Right. And, you know, I would give my kid an iPhone because I could reach him right away. I wouldn't hesitate to give an eight or a nine year old an iPhone today. You know, but um, what comes to them on those devices is what scares me more yes. than letting them go out and play baseball with their two friends in a field where you can't see them. Mm-hmm. It's you know. it's tough. I mean, you know, <laughs> we've kind of evolved this conversation into a parenting conversation, but it's a <laughs> fundamental part of being being a female and, you know, just in, in general. And and uh, and and I think that a way we kind of approach parenting is, is a very large mm-hmm. uh yeah, a very large part of what we do and who we are as people. So, uh, and some of that spills over into the workplace and how we uh, approach and interact with other people. And uh, yeah, I, do do you think that there are certain things that that females kind of bring to the table, uh, if you will, Deb? That uh, maybe that are uniquely to females that uh, you know that you know you said you're a hot, a hot woman in your 30s, which is awesome. I love to hear that. You know. Obviously, the feminine, the feminine wiles, if you will, you know, is certainly something that was unique to is unique to females. But what are there any like soft skills or anything like that that you can think of that, you know, really is quite literally something that only females can can offer for, uh, you know, IT in general, but cybersecurity as well? I think intuition and the ability to think on multiple levels. So intuition is that feeling that you get when you hit a gray area and you're like, Hmm, I'm wondering about this. I think I need to do more research into this, or I need to ask this guy a pointed question to make sure if he's trying to sell me a technology and I'm a CISO, you know, I need to sit Mm -hmm. down and number one, you know, I can't just trust anybody. In fact, 
That is the number one thing I wish I could do to Hollywood and everybody on the planet. Never use the term, trust me, okay? You will not find that anywhere in my book or any of my books. Trust me is the thing that makes me turn around and go the opposite direction, okay? If you tell me I need to trust you, there's something underneath that. What's underneath Mm -hmm. that, right? That's the first thing. So that's to intuition. The second thing is, if you can think on multiple levels, you can actually outplay the male gender in some cases, like that guy who's like, hi, babe. And I'm like, hi, babe. And he doesn't even know I was making fun of him. To this day, he doesn't know I was making fun of him, right? Well, he does now. He does now. (laughs) If he hears it, he's out of the industry now. That's why I'm using it as an example. But if he hears it. Um, But the, um, the multiple levels help with a lot of things, especially if you're in a leadership role or an analyst role where you've got to be a good listener, mm-hmm. but you've also got to process what you're hearing. And you you can't just be binary about cyberspace. There's so much going on. So I think those two characteristics are good. But I also think the ability to think on multiple levels, sometimes women go far, too far down the rabbit holes. Sometimes they get hung up on one little thing that isn't that big of a deal. Like, oh my God, he said, hi, babe, to me. That's going to ruin my career. Okay, no, Fido, man, we got to do a lot of Fido. If we want to live and work in this industry, we got to be able to take jokes. I'm not a baby. I've never been a baby. There's men around us. They tell jokes. A lot of them are gender specific jokes. Okay. sometimes I think we need to come up with some good jokes that are like reverse jokes on the male gender. So that when we hear them, we can go, oh, yeah, I have this joke, too. And then we could, like, throw it right back in their face. But we've got to utilize our ability to think on multiple levels, but not turn that into internalizing, like you said earlier, Mm -hmm. and not using that also to scare us out of taking a job that we're 90% qualified for. And Tracy and I have had this conversation before. You go in and you have this list of requirements. Guys will go if they're 50% qualified, they'll go interview for the job. Yep. Women yep. are afraid to interview the, for the job if they're 90% qualified. So clearly that fake it till you feel it thing is extremely important. Um, and thinking on multiple levels is important, but inter- using that multiple level thinking to internalize and hold yourself back or get a grudge against someone else. Those don't work for all females in the industry and they can stereotype the rest of us. So I strongly urge women who are highly sensitive. That's a good thing, sensitive women. I have a problem because sometimes I offend sensitive women. But if I find out I did, I immediately try to rectify the Mm -hmm. problem, understand the sensitivity, not do it again. Um, That doesn't mean I won't be perfect, but that's the best I can offer. Okay. so those that's my advice to women in the industry. If you're a sensitive woman, there's a great place for you as long as you don't internalize it and let everything become a huge issue. I'm hearing some really awesome words there. Um, yeah. I, and I always, you know, I always take notes um, and I have a couple of notes from what, what Deb has been telling us. So Deb, every, every conversation, I make sure that I am listening for those nuggets that go on my wall of words, the things that I'm going to come back to. Um, I love that you said, If you know when you're not an expert and you know to ask, um, my experience has been with some of the younger women. Uh, They're not always asking those questions yet because they're in that 
that area of trying to fake it till they make it. So mm-hmm. when do you ask the question? When do you not ask the question? Right. How do you balance that? And I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on that, Deb. Yeah. Well, Charlene and I have both been lapped out of rooms. So mm-hmm. I always ask the question whether or not it sounds stupid. Like, can we change IP? Cisco laughs me out of the room. Um, there were a lot of other questions like that throughout my career that came out to be true because now we're on IPv6, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so there's other things like that. I am now raising questions around, can we do something different? Like, as we're doing digital transformation on the internet for the next 20 years, can we be building a more secure infrastructure? Maybe not even call it the internet, but we need something more secure, less trusting as a foundation underneath all of this digital transformation. Do I sound stupid? Maybe. I keep looking into it. All of the advances that I'm seeing are being done in China. Do we want China like running our technology because they believe in, you know, controlling discourse and other things on the internet? Okay, so where do we go with that? To me, that's my biggest, as an analyst, that's my biggest area of focus right now. Before mm-hmm. I die, I would like to see something coming up in place of the internet that's much more secure. Are we talking crystal power? Are we talking Uh, bacteria or fungus or algae. I don't even know, but I believe that we're not setting our minds to looking at things completely differently. Like let's pretend there is no internet. And how would we build a secure structure of communication and commerce today? If we didn't even have an internet underlying foundation, right? How would we do it? So those are the areas where I think asking dumb questions is good. Um, sounding dumb is okay. If you're raising awareness, if you're Mm -hmm. getting people to think it's okay. So I actually kind of laugh at some of the things that have gotten me laughed out of rooms because everything I've brought up and I'm guessing Charlene too, turns out to be something that Mm should have been. Cognitive diversity, right? It's all about diversity period, but cognitive diversity. Let's have the different conversations. Let's ask the different questions. Be okay to be laughed at. I still think that the the younger um, are feeling their way and it's it's an acquired skill. Not everybody has it. And if you don't, it's like empathy. Uh, Charlene and I have talked about empathy recently and some folks are natural empaths. Some are not, but it is something that you can curate in yourself and put that on on your target. There's just so much goodness here. I love your your point of view. Let's stop racing to catch up. Let's take a step back. Let's circle up the wagons and let's have a conversation instead of just trying to catch up with doing what we're already doing, um, which mm-hmm. is what I'm what I'm grabbing from your words there, Deb. Yes, that, that's my overall message lately. That's great, and and uh, you know it's. Well, one thing that that actually kind of circling back to your book, you were talking about the characters who are in the book and and they're all based on real life folks. Uh, I I heard a lot of men, uh, heard a lot of males there as Mm -hmm. as people who have kind of helped shape your career uh, or, or, you know, kind of given you that that foundation, if you will. Uh, Were there any uh, any females as part of that or, you know, uh, are, are there any females today that kind of help shape your 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 direction? The lead character in the book is the female. Her name is Sai, short for Cyanthia. 
She used to work at the Department of Defense. She was an ace digital forensics investigator who decides not to chip herself at the last minute because she finds out she's pregnant with a spy's child and she doesn't want to chip the baby either. So she goes off grid. She starts a hacker den in the Blue Ridge Mountains and it takes them 17 years to coordinate a worldwide global attack on Globecom all simultaneous because obviously if you just do part of it, the rest of it's going to be resilient and come back and kill mm -hmm. all the hackers. So they had to do the whole network, all the data centers at the same time. Um, Sai is surrounded by men. She's got two husbands, two sons, and a warrior woman named Allure. Allure is six feet tall without shoes on, 135 pounds. She loves stilettos and tight unitards. So she looks like a ghoul. And she is a warrior woman. She is based on a woman I saw across the room at a hacker rave where they were all drinking these red drinks that looked like blood. And we were all wearing our matrix costumes. I still have my black leather duster from that. Um, and I just thought she's gonna be a character in a book someday. I never met her. And it was Maine Del Chai, who, who is a character in my book as Maine, brought me to that party to show me what the goth nightlife looked like. And he was like the goth prince of New York at the time. So they opened up the red rope and let us in in front of the crowd and everything. And, and I told him that Allure was based on this character from 20 years ago that I saw at that party. And he goes, oh, that's Kitty. And I go, oh, are you still in touch with her? Oh yeah, we used to be roommates. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll copy of the book too. You know, I didn't even know who she was until after I wrote the book. And I said, well, she's a warrior. She's protects Cyanthia. She likes guns. And he goes, that sounds like Kitty. And I went, wow, cool. I never even met her. <laughs> so, That's great. She oh, my female though that's based on a real character. So all the females in the, oh no, there's Bossa too. Bossa is an older woman that actually worked with me at Sands. And she asked why she's not in my book when she read the first draft. Well, I needed someone to come in on an airplane and rescue these people at the end. But, uh, Barb Filkins actually builds her own planes. She's a little older than I am, but she's, looks a lot older. She looks like an apple doll with really gray hair and a lot of wrinkles. So I describe her true to, to form in the book. She loves it. Um, she comes in in the plane and rescues everybody at the end. And the main hackers, Dark Angel and Wizard, you know, one of the kids is saying, well, who's Bossa? And he goes, she's the boss of all of us. Do you have any other questions? You know, and <laughs> move on. And Bossa's like, um, I'm sorry, kid, you got a problem with that? So she talks just like Barb Filkins does. She's a really strong personality and you don't, don't mess with her kind of person, you know? Yeah, and so it. those are the only two real females. Sai, the lead character, is just all made up in my head. Mm -hmm. um, she's, she, I named her after a friend of mine who died named Cindy Frank. So she takes on a little bit of Cindy's looks, but not Cindy's personality. Okay. All right. It's uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, over the last 30 years or so, we haven't had a whole lot of female uh, kind of uh, mentors or, or mm -hmm. you know, people, females in positions of power and authority that we could kind of model uh, maybe our careers after. But uh, but it's great to see that that you've you've been able to pull from your experiences with, uh, you know, with with women, not even uh, people who you've worked with directly who have had that positive influence on your life 
because you've been able to uh, create an entire character out of somebody you saw across the room. And that's that to me, that's that's huge. That's really, really big. So we are almost out of time. I think we only have about a minute left. But uh, Deb, I do want to thank you very much for being our guest today. What a great uh, what a great career you've had and continue to have. And I, I look forward to seeing the book. I'll see you at RSA. I'll be there. And uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation there. And uh, Tracy, any anything you would like to close out with? Oh, gosh, no. Only that if you're not an expert in something, figure out who to ask. Words of a friend. There you go. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again, Adeb, for being here. Tracy, as always, thanks for being uh, here to by my side and fighting the good fight, as, as it were. So. Always great. Always learn right. something every time we have a conversation. So thanks, uh, me everybody. Too. Me too. Right. Thank, thank you for having me on the air. I love Tracy. And now I love Charlene, too. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you uh, again. And thank you for watching Tech Strong Women. We'll be back right after these commercial messages.